Welcome to another episode of the Voices of Freedom podcast. The Voices of Freedom is a division of the Americans in Wartime Experience, where our mission is to honor, educate, and inspire. And the Voices of Freedom does that by recording and preserving the oral histories of Americans in wartime, both veterans and civilians. If you'd like to learn more about our project, head over to our website at www.americansinwartime.org. You can watch some of our past interviews. You can take a look at our tank collection. You could donate, which would which would help us continue this mission. And you can also send an email if you or someone you know would uh, like to participate in the project and, uh, and be interviewed. So today's interview is uh, with Alfred Smith. This interview was conducted back in June of 2021 at his home in Stevens City, Virginia. Al is a veteran of the United States Army and served in Korea, where he fought not once but twice at Porkchop Hill. Uh, Alfred got uh, several uh, awards, or earned several awards while he was in Korea to include the Silver Star with Valor, the Bronze Star, and a couple of um, a couple of Purple Hearts to go with it. Um, Al is a very humble guy. Like a lot of veterans that we interview, they downplay um, they downplay what they did. They downplay the significance of what they did. Um, they always give credit to others, and Al is no different from, from any of the others that we've interviewed. What I want to do is, if I could, is read the citation that uh, Alfred Smith received um, for actions that were taken on 7 July 1953, and this is the citation um, for, of the awarding of his Silver Star. And it says, Award of the Silver Star by direction of the President under the provisions of the Act of Congress approved 9 July 1918 and pursuant to the authority, blah, blah, blah. The Silver Star for gallantry in action is awarded to the following named enlisted man. Sergeant First Class Alfred Smith, Infantry, United States Army, a member of B Company, 17th Infantry, distinguished himself by gallantry in action near Sokoge... Korea, and there's no chance I got that right, but it, it was in Korea. You can trust me on that one. Um, it happened on 7 July 1953, where elements of Sergeant Smith's unit launched an attack against an enemy outpost. Although wounded early in the attack, Sergeant Smith continued to lead his platoon in the assault against the enemy. When a friendly officer was wounded, Sergeant Smith formed a rescue squad and led it in an effort to rescue him but the squad was forced to, with, forced to withdraw due to heavy enemy sniper fire. This sniper fire wounded Sergeant Smith a second time, but still he refused to be evacuated. Again, Sergeant Smith risked his life by exposing himself to fire, to fire a rocket launcher and destroy two enemy bunkers. Not until he was too weak from his wounds to continue did Sergeant Smith allow himself to be evacuated. The gallantry displayed by Sergeant Smith reflects great credit on himself and is in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service. You know, when you talk to Al about this incident, he will downplay his actions. He'll downplay what he did um, and the significance of what he did. He downplays how wounded he was. Um, and, and that's typical of, of, of the guys that did what he did. Um, and there aren't a lot of guys that did what he did. Um, 
but all of them are very humble. They will always give credit to others, um, and Al is no different than that. So, without further ado, you don't want to listen to me talk anymore. You want to hear Al's interview. You want to hear these things uh, come from Al. Um, before we begin the interview, I want to just caution you that um, we had some challenges getting this interview. Al was 90 at the time of this interview. Um, he had recently battled and beat COVID, and um, he was on oxygen at the time, so you'll hear the oxygen machine in the background, uh, and some of the audio gets a little sketchy. Um, but it's not really the quality of the audio that is important, but the story that is behind it, the story of the man. So without further ado, I give you Alfred Big Al Smith. All right. My name is Dennis Gill with the Americas and Wartime Museum, and today's date is 18 June. 2021, and I have the pleasure of interviewing Alfred Smith Sr. Yes, sir. At his home. There's three of us. Three of you. Okay. There's me, he's Junior, and AJ. He's Junior the third. Okay. Yeah. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? That I, was, kind of thing. I was born in Washington, D.C., and I was raised there in Sterling, Virginia. What, uh, what war campaign did you participate in? The Korean War. Korean War. And what branch of the service were you in? Infantry. And that's the Army? Yes, sir. Okay. You have any other family members that are military? Sir? Any other family members that served in the military? Uh, junior, okay. my uh, oldest son, uh, he served in the military. He was in Korea, too, but wasn't doing the war. Okay. Um, so what made you join the military? Get away from the farm. Get away from the farm? <laughs> Oh, my dad was upset like hell with me over that. That's the reason I didn't have no education because I didn't go to school. I had to stay home and work on the farm, you know. We had a dairy farm, and it was from 4 o'clock in the morning to 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And, uh, but uh, for me, I think that the best thing I ever, ever did was going in the Army. Because there's no way I could have what, what I got today if I hadn't been in there. Because right. when I kind of got out, well, I, I actually I was forced out. They, they couldn't read or write, so I, they, I had to go. And because, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sergeant first classes, and that's another thing, I would have never got that high of rank if I hadn't been in Korea. And... Uh, but uh, they had a, a, well, I got out this lady, yeah, she, she tried to help me. Well, she didn't only try, she did. Uh, she got me in a, oh, the, uh, the, na the Naval Research Lab. They had a apprentice program there. To, for, my, to, for machinists, model makers, and uh, so, you know, I had to learn, know something, so I went to the school, and uh, I uh, got that, and I worked there for about four and a half years, five years, maybe five and a half years, maybe, quite a while, and, uh, but anyhow, I worked there, I guess it was five and a half years. And if uh, you wasn't a Catholic or a Mason, you didn't get nowhere there. 
And uh, so I started checking around, trying to find another job, but I had to stay in the in the government to keep my retirement. So uh, I ran into this friend of mine. He worked for the post office. He said, well, come over to the post office. I said, they're hiring veterans. I said, well, I can't carry no damn mail because I can't read. Oh, he said, no. I said, they got a machine shop there. I said, machine shop in the post office? He said, yeah. So I went over and like the good Lord was looking after me again, the guy that interviewed me was, uh, his, he had relatives in Sterling, Virginia. And he asked me, he said, do you know the press craze? I said, hell yeah. I said, I know Pat Prescott, him and I used to squirrel hunt together and and uh, shoot rifles on Monday, on uh, Sunday morning. We shoot the walnuts off a tree. And uh, I said, uh, I know him, I said, I grew up with his son, uh, Little Roy. And uh, so he hired me. And I told him I couldn't read. He said, you don't need to read. He said, as long as you can do what you say you can do. He said, you're hired. So I went to work for them and making a lot more money. I left the Navy to there and made, I think, damn near twice as much. And of course, it was a good move for me. And uh, When you enlisted in the Army, was the Korean War still going on? Or was it, or was it going on or was it No, no, it just started. Yeah, it just started. Yeah. Okay. Camp Breckenridge where I took my basic training at. And uh, I left, and when I left there, I went to Korea because I volunteered to go. So, so you knew when you went enlisted that you were gonna have to go to Korea? Oh yeah. You know. yeah, that didn't bother me at all. I don't know why, but it didn't. Right. Uh, my dad was a little upset over it, but, and, uh, and my mother, she'd already died and uh, she died of uh, heart trouble. She was only 46. And... Uh, Did you know much about what was going on in Korea at the time? No. Just there was uh, some, some kind of war going on? And yeah. And, uh, but uh, we went to Japan first okay. yeah, on the ship, and then we left Japan on the ship again and went into Pusan, Korea. And uh, by now, when, when you got there, what were your impressions? What were your first impressions? I assume this is the first time you'd ever been away from home. It was cold and wet. Cold and wet. Uh, what do they tell you when you get to Korea? They give you any kind of briefing? Or? Oh yeah, but I don't remember what it was. They tell you what to expect and things like that? Yeah, I'm sure they did, yeah. but I, I don't remember exactly what. We had several, uh, we sit outside on the side of the hill and had loudspeakers up and talked to everybody. And uh, whatever was said, everybody heard it, you know. But... Uh, so you were infantry. What was your exact job? At first, I was a BAR man. Okay. And because uh, I wanted to have something with firepower and... Right. And because uh, I wanted to get as many of them as I could. <laughs> and that's a Browning automatic weapon? Yes. Yeah. Um, what? What can you tell us about that? It was a good weapon. <laughs> Anyhow, I carried that, and then when I, I made corporal, and then when I uh, uh, 
I still carried the BAR. And uh, they never bothered you much about your weapons. But then when I made a uh, sergeant, uh, they tried to give me a carbine. And uh, I said, I don't want that damn thing. Much smaller weapon. Yes. So uh, I still carried the BAR. And then later on, I made sergeant first class. And uh, they, they tried to get me to carry a BAR again. I mean, a, a carbine again. I said, no, I'm going to carry this. And I doubled the clips up. Had a, a fast another one of those things that had, had the clips in it with 20 rounds each in each one. And uh, 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 fastened to the other one. So I had double the amount of ammunition on me. And uh, they, uh, I carried the, uh, the BAR then too. And a lot of times you, uh, you had a what we called a point man. Well, I, 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 I never had one. I was always a point man. You were the point Because I wanted to see exactly what was going on. And then I could direct my people, you know, they behind me watching me. I'd motion that way, you know, for them to, to uh, some of them to go that way or to go this way. And uh, I was kind of an observer and a leader at the same time, too. And it worked that good for us. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Voices of Freedom podcast. The Voices of Freedom is a division of the Americans in Wartime Experience, a 501c3 dedicated to honoring, educating, and inspiring. The mission of the Voices of Freedom is to record and preserve the wartime oral histories of Americans, both civilian and military. If you'd like to learn more or to donate to our project, please visit our website at www.americansinwartime.org. So you're 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 the leader of this of a, of a, a squad, platoon. Well, yeah. no, uh, yeah, I was the first. Then I I think the, the master sergeant went home. I think he, he had enough points or so, or maybe he got wounded. I don't remember now exactly what happened to him. But then they made me the, the platoon sergeant. It's probably something in there about that. I don't know. I try to keep all them papers. But normally, if you're the leader, you're not in the front. Right. Normally, you'd be behind. Right. The guy. Right. You decided but you wanted to be in the front. I was always in front. And because uh, I didn't want to tell somebody to go do something that I wouldn't do. And that's, <clears throat> that was the main reason. <laughs> main reason I did that. Because... Uh, I didn't want to tell none of my men to do something that I wouldn't do. I imagine that is, is the BAR, it's heavy, yeah. carrying a thing around. Yeah. yeah, but them days uh, I weighed about 220 pounds, something like that, and I was strong as an ox. And you're a farm boy, you ain't no slouch. And uh, when I was little growing up, I said I always wanted to be big enough and ugly enough so nobody would fuck with me. <laughs> But anyhow, uh, that's where it was that when I left and came back to the States. Where, what, um, tell us about your first time in combat. The first time somebody's shooting at you. I think I was on a, a I think it was, the hill was called, 
not pork chop, but uh, I don't remember what that hill was called. It was an outpost, and we was out there, and we got attacked a couple of times. And uh, next morning, they had Constantina wire all the way around the, the just over the hill from where we was there, positions was, and we was all dug in. And it was already dug in when I, we moved in there. And uh, uh, that was the first time. And then the second time they had things a little better. <laughs> had what they call the A bunker, and uh, they was pretty nice. <sighs> It was wood on the inside, and then they had these sandbags about four or five deep on top of it. And uh, so that, that li living quarters wasn't too bad then. But uh, then they, when we, they, they took a pork chop from uh, A Company, Able Company was there, out there. Well, it was at night, and we had to go out there to take it back. And that's how they knew I was we was coming, because they heard me hollering, never fear, Baker's here. <laughs> I always had some kind of stuff to say, you know. And, uh, this is Port Chop Hill? Yes, sir. And I kept taking it back twice. And, is there a reason that was significant? Why that piece of property was significant? It was uh, in the middle of the Kumsong Valley, looking down the valley, and they didn't want the Chinese to have it there, the North Koreans. Because then that, we would lose access straight down the valley, and uh, and and there was another hill pretty close to us, because I used to shoot at them. <laughs> if I had the rifle I got now, I could have killed a lot more of them with just one round. Right. But uh, then I got a hold of a 50 caliber machine gun, and uh, uh, had that setting up up there. And I sighted it in, and when I see one moving over, I get him in the scope on it, and I killed a couple of them that way. You know, just fired one round, and he see go right straight to especially if it was a, a tracer. Right. He see it hit him, and uh, it was nothing to be proud of, I guess. But I, I kind of took it to my heart. Because I was fighting for our country, I wish we, I wish we had some leaders in this country that thought the same way I did. Because these people today, I, I mean, we got the greatest country in the world, and why they want to tear, tear it down and give it away, I don't understand that. Uh, these politicians, all they want is the money, and uh, money and power. That's right. Well, give the power to the soldiers. They'll take care of it. There's a lot of good soldiers in this country. And, uh, and, and, and we had a reason to fight. It was for our country and for our people who lived here. But uh, like uh, nowadays, they don't want them to mention fighting or anything like that, and they take them over and get them killed for no, for, for, for no reason at all, you know.
but uh, it's a. Uh, it, it was an experience, I'll tell you that. But like Were I said, the men you served with good soldiers? Sir? Were the men you served with good soldiers? Yes. It, the answer was, but you had to, when I was there the second, there the second time, they had integrated a lot of the South Korean soldiers in with us. Well, you couldn't put him by yourself, by himself, because he'd leave on your ass. I had to put a, an American with him, so they would stay. And uh, but they, if there was somebody with them, in most cases they was pretty good. But uh, uh, that thing of deserting in the face of the enemy, I, I didn't care if people did that either. But uh, he was there for a purpose, and you serve the purpose as well as you can. That was my belief. And, how long were you in Korea? I think altogether was about a year and six months. I think I, th I had three. Uh, 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 hash marks or whatever you call them, and uh, I think that's what it was. Were you there continuously that long? Or no, you no. Home? I got wounded, and, okay. and then for some reason or another, they sent me to Japan. And uh, they, they, they kept me, didn't send me back. So it's on a point system then. I said, hell, I ain't never gonna get out of here. So I volunteered and went back to Korea. And then that's when I got my time in and they rotated me out to back to the United States. Tell us the story about getting wounded. Oh, I didn't even know I was wounded for a while. Uh, we was running like hell, and I, I it was all, uh, I never got shot, but it was all shrapnel, mostly from artillery shells and mortar shells. And you didn't know that you'd been wounded? Not for a while I didn't. I noticed my, really what I noticed was my pants was wet. And I said, shit, I know I hadn't pissed myself. But anyhow, uh, then it, the one day, uh, I think the lieutenant said, let me see. So he, they took a knife and cut my pants up. He said, you got to go to a medic. So said, I said, I'll be all right. And of course, I had three places in this leg. I think so, yeah. Because you were wounded and then continued to fight. Yeah. And was wounded a second time. And then the second time was when I was there the second time. No, I'm saying during that battle you were wounded twice. I believe I was. With, you, were, you were laid down by sniper fire according to your paperwork. Oh, okay, yeah. Because uh, I, I, I got a couple pieces of strap on this leg too. But the main thing was it was in a, a bunker they had machine guns in it, and we got a direct hit. And the 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 the, the, the bunkers was made out of wood on the inside, and it blew a hole, and then it it uh, a piece of uh, wood hit me back of the head, and that's what fucked up my hearing, and uh, uh, fractured my skull down at the base of my head. And, 
that's when I finally wound up they took took took, took me back to the rear and I was in the field hospital for a little while and then they took me from there to Japan. Can I read this to you? And you yeah. kinda of give me your thoughts on this? Yeah. This is I guess is this your citation? Yeah. To the Silver Star? Silver Star, okay. I think that's when it was so on. Sergeant First Class Albert E. Smith, Infantry, United States Army, a member of Company B, 17th Inf Infantry, distinguished himself by gallantry in action by uh, near or near uh, a place I can't pronounce, but we'll call it Korea. <laughs> on 7 July 1953, elements of Sergeant Smith's unit launched an attack against an enemy outpost. Although wounded early in the attack, and that would be the shrapnel yeah. leg, Sergeant Smith continued to lead his platoon in the assault against the enemy. When a friendly officer was wounded, Sergeant Smith formed a rescue squad and led it uh, in an effort to rescue him, but the squad was forced to withdraw due to heavy enemy sniper fire. Yeah. The sniper wounded Sergeant Smith a second time, but he still refused to be evacuated. Again, Sergeant Smith risked his life by exposing himself to uh, fire a rocket launcher and destroyed two I'm sorry. So you, were you re refused to be evacuated. Again, you risked your life exposing yourself to rocket fire and launch and destroyed two uh, bunkers held by the enemy. Yeah, I got the uh, 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 bazooka from some of the guys. I forget who it was. It was the bazooka man, and I didn't want to send him because I, I knew exactly where they was at. So I took the bazooka, and I went, and... Uh, uh, I think I did get two two bunkers. There's a little Korean carried the bazooka rounds for me. Okay, so you fired the the rocket that uh, destroyed the bunker. Yes. Yeah. And it says not until you were too weak from your wounds to continue did Sergeant Smith allow himself to be evacuated. Well, they they exaggerate a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was wounded. I, I, agree with that, but I wasn't that bad, but some people think you're worse than what you really are, but I did know that I needed attention to get, uh, I didn't want to lose my legs, see. Well, it sounds yeah. like to me that you were wounded by a shrapnel. Yes. Continued to fight. Yes. Was wounded by an, an enemy sniper. Were you shot? No. I don't know how that got there. Every piece of metal that I got in me was from uh, mortar Okay. and artillery and hand grenades. They had a hand grenade with a ball on the end of it and it had a bamboo stick in the end of it. Okay. And they threw them. So, so you remember that incident pretty well? Fairly well, yeah. I like the parts of it, if, uh, if it's, if it's like if somebody was here and they was there with me and they said something about it, then I would probably remember it again. But. Uh, when, 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 when. Was that the most intense fight you were ever in? Taking pork chop back. Taking pork chop was? Yeah. That was the most intense, intensive fire I was ever in. And, uh. How long did that take? How long was the battle? Uh, oh, two days, I think it was. Two days. I mean, we were out there longer than that, but we had to get it rebuilt back up. We had a tank come up 
had a there's an old M4 tanks had a 105 howitzer on them, and uh, they bulldozed a hole out in the, in the top of the mountain, and uh, pulled the tank up there so they could get direct shots at whatever they were shooting at out there. You say you had to take it back twice. Sir? You said you had to take it back twice? Yeah. Did you guys occupy it the first time and lost it, or? No, yeah, they did. They, they attacked them at night, and then the second time I was in uh, uh, Baker Company, and uh, that's how they knew we was coming, because they could hear me hollering, never fear, Baker's here. And uh, uh, and then when we got on there, then we had to go through every tunnel in the place. The, the uh, uh, what 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 they did was it was in the winter time, and it was like a map up on top. You could see all these tunnels because it was drier because of the heat underneath of it. And uh, they put, the, I guess they call them satchel, that's what we call them, satchel charges. And uh, uh, it blowed holes in the tunnels, and that's how they got in, through them holes in the tunnels. And then we had to go through there, take every one of those uh, bunkers over out again. And it was pretty close, but what we did most was I throw grenades down the, the tunnels, and uh, if it was anywhere where they could, the shrapnel could go anywhere. Of course, the tunnel's only that wide, and uh, wide enough to carry a machine gun down it and VAR uh, or whatever. But uh, did you have any downtime, any R and R, while you were in Korea? No, I never went on R and R. Never. No. Any downtime? Were you, were you able to do anything? Well, we had what to call. Uh, fall back in reserve, and that was back behind the MLR, and uh, they had tents set up on right against the mountains, and uh, you uh, uh, trained up. You trained a. You trained the whole time you was back there, and uh, so it wasn't really a downtime. But you wasn't actually fighting, you know. When you, when you would go out to fight, how long would you be gone before you'd come back? To what? When you went out to fight? Yeah. How long were you go out there before you came back? Um, uh, take a break, I guess, or train. Oh, to have the reserve uh, yep. time. I don't really remember. It seemed to me like it was a month or two. I forget, something like that. It wasn't too awful long. Right. And they, they went by pretty fast. And then another company would come out and relieve you, and then then you go back, and you might not relieve that company. The next time it might be another one, and uh, nobody wanted to be attached next to the Colombians because they'd run in a heartbeat. Really? Yeah, they weren't very good soldiers, and uh, that's uh, where I got my left-handed. Uh, 45 pistol holster was from the uh, uh, Ethiopians. And the first ones there were the real tall ones, the black people. 
and they carried the machete on the right side and the 45 pistol on the left side. And I wanted one of them because I'm partially left-handed. I shoot left-handed. And uh, I always wanted one of them holsters, and that's how I got the one I had. And when I left Korea, I gave it to a lieutenant because he was left-handed. I can't remember his name today. And, uh, but, uh, uh, How were the South Koreans as, as soldiers? Were they good soldiers? Uh, if, if somebody was with them, if it was an American or, or some other nationality was with them, it was, would stay, they would stay. But if uh, you couldn't put them over by yourself, you know, I had one, one night, uh, let's see, I think we was on Port Japan. They had those sound power telephones and uh, there's a Chinese, uh, Korean boy. Uh, they used to tease him all the time. Uh, he was a hell of a good kid. Uh, I can't remember his name, right? Kim DeCaw. And uh, he said, Sergeant Smith said, Chinese, many, many have a yes. <laughs> and uh, so I just took off down the, the tunnel to go down to where he was at. And because uh, they had these fingers running off the hill, and we had machine guns set up at all of them. So, of course, I went down there and and we did. We had plenty of Chinese, <laughs> and that was, it was a somebody. Some some soldier took some pictures, but I never did get none of them. Uh, it was the Chinese laying in the wire where they'd been shot, and with uh, thermite grenades and white phosphorus grenades, and uh, set a fire, and uh, it burned a lot of them up, and. Uh, but uh, so the, the South Koreans didn't seem like they no they, they wanted. I mean, it seems like it's their country they want to fight. Yeah. Well, I told them that many times. I said, "This is your country. We're helping you. Not uh, you're not helping us." But that never seemed to do any good. But uh, I think that's why the North took the South so easy because they they weren't fighters. And, uh, but uh, were you able to communicate with uh, your family here in the states? Get letters or make I, phone calls? Uh, once in a great while, I I get somebody to write a letter home for me. Matter of fact, uh, the, uh, the, I don't know. He was, had something to do with the uh, the uh, the preachers. There, there, he was at, most of them was either lieutenants or captains. And uh, they come out there one time and told me to write home. Because my father, he didn't know if I was dead or alive. I hadn't heard from him for so long. But sometimes you'd, I'd get some of the uh, soldiers to write a letter for me. But most of the time I was too busy doing something and take time to write home. Other than a couple of times I did. But uh, I probably, the whole time I was over, I probably didn't write. Have right, have have ten letters, maybe twelve sent home. Because, <laughs> right. uh, like I say, if you when you can't read or write, you you're screwed. And, well, you're really screwed today. 
And I was just one of the lucky ones that I did. a lot of people don't know how I got in there the first time, <laughs> but they did. And uh, I guess they figured, you know, some bitch can fight, so we'll take him, right. you know. And then I wanted to go. Uh, and uh, that's why I always said I had no complaints at all. I volunteered for everything I got. Uh, but uh, I'll take you back to when you were wounded. When they evac'd you out, where did you go? Field hospital back in the, in the rear. Would that have been considered a mash? Yeah. It would? Yep, right, yeah. Uh, and I was in there a couple of days, I think it was. I, and I, I still to this day don't know why they sent me back to Japan because it wasn't that bad. Or I didn't think it was. But like, I guess doctors know more than I do. What was your experience at the MASH? It was pretty good. Uh, and most of it was, uh, uh, there was mostly men, uh, what they call them, a field medic. And uh, a lot of them seemed to know what they were doing change your bandages and stuff for you and uh, pour peroxide in the wound and clean it. Uh, so I, I had no complaint with that at all. How long were you there? In Japan? No, in, at, the, at the field hospital. Two or three days. I can't remember sure how long. It wasn't very long. Okay. I think two days, I think. And then from there you went to Japan? Yeah. And uh, uh, they flew me from there out on a, a ship and uh, uh, I guess it was a, like a hospital ship and then we went from there to Japan on that and then I went in to, uh, I got put in that company. I can't remember the company I was in there. I think it was the 24th Division. How long were you in Japan? Just a couple of months. Because I, I could, they put you on the point system in, and shit. I'd been there, I'd probably been retired from that. So you were, were you in the hospital that long? For a couple of months? No, no, no. Okay. No. No, they put me in a company. Okay. We went right to training. Gotcha. And, uh, uh, they had what the, uh, the the valley over in in Japan is called Ojo Jahara. That's where we trained at a lot right there, and uh, they put up telephone poles, real high. The Japanese did that, and some of them were still there. So when the gliders came in, this was during the Second World War, that uh, they would hit them poles and tear the glider up. And that, that's how I know that's because they told me that's what they was for. And, uh, but uh, like I said, to, to get out of there uh, and get my points in, I had to go back to Korea. Well, I didn't have to, but I did. And uh, I was in quite a few different damn companies. I can't remember which ones those were. The seventh division, I was in Korea and the 40th Division I was in Korea. That was it, I think. So I'm reading another uh, statement here 
It says on 15 June 1953, one of the outguard positions of Company B, 17th Infantry Regiment, was attacked by a numerical superior force and were forced to withdraw to the company's positions on the outpost. Once you got there, you realized that you were missing somebody. Yeah. And you formed a rescue mission. Yeah. And went after them. The Korean boy got right. shot. Yeah. And uh, I, I fought at the laying action back. I had the BAR, and I carried this Korean, because he only weighed probably about 150 pounds, something like that. I had him over my shoulder, and I had my BAR. And uh, I'd go run away and stop, and if I could hear or see some movement, I'd just spray the whole area. And then I'd run back some more. and. Uh, until I got back to the MLR, and of course we had all kinds of support there. But, uh, so you carried him out? Yeah. He was wounded? Yeah. And, and, and I found out later, he made it. He didn't die. So, so that was uh, a good thing for him. Did you receive a medal for that? I think that's where I got either the Bronze Star or the Silver Star. Which in that episode, I think. So you carried him out and your BAR. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Yep, sure did. But uh, like I say, you know, I was young then and shit. I can't even open my bottle of soda anymore. My hands are so screwed up. And uh, uh, it looks like the Bronze Star you were awarded for that. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, the only really war picture I had, and it wasn't a war picture, it was, I was back here in the States, I think. I was here in the States when they uh, had the parade, and uh, the, uh, I don't remember if it was a general or, or a colonel pinned the bronze star on me, or the silver star, one or the other. I have a picture, and that's the only picture I really have of anything to do with the war. And. Uh, I got it somewhere so we can't find it. But, uh, what do you remember most about your time in Korea, your time in combat? <laughs> Trying to stay alive. <laughs> but uh, no, like I say, I, 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 I have no complaint whatsoever of my military career. Like I say, it's a, and I've told a lot of kids that it, uh, I wouldn't have what I got today if I hadn't have been in the Army because I couldn't have got the schooling that I got when I got back to the machinist. And, uh, and after that I went to work uh, for the Navy and I helped build stuff and went up on the moon and uh, working for the Navy and then in the post office, of course, I made letter sorting machines, and uh, they, they went down in Florida, they had, uh, they had uh, these uh, drop boxes, it was a handicap area down there, but they had a lot of handicapped people, and they could roll their wheelchairs up there, put a package in it. Well, they, they caught him, but I don't remember what they did with something, but he was get in that box, somebody would dump him in there. And he'd get these packages 
and dump them back out. And uh, so they wanted a system set up so they couldn't do that. And uh, this guy, I think he was six foot tall, but he didn't weigh too much. So uh, in order to do it, I put two micro switches in it, one on each side. When over a certain amount of weight got in it, you couldn't dump it. And, uh, but I told the inspectors, I said, I can solve that problem real quick. I said, we'll put an ass-kicking machine in there. I said, then he won't get in there no more. But they couldn't do anything to hurt anybody. So I put these two micro switches in there. And when a certain amount of weight got in it, it uh, you couldn't dump it. So that's how we stopped that. Tell us about your homecoming. What was it like when you came home? That wasn't too bad. You made it out with your life. Yeah, that was the main thing. But I wasn't in here very long. It just processed me because of, of my, couldn't read and write. They, I had to they, they discharge me. And then I hadn't served out my full retirement. I mean, my full uh, term. But uh, by having uh, been able to go to school, and learn how to uh, make stuff. Well, I was already pretty knowledgeable on that. I always worked on my own tractors and stuff, you know. Uh, like I said, I'm a dumb old country boy, but I ain't stupid. <laughs> but uh, I got home, I, I, I did pretty good. I was married twice. My first wife, Junior's, uh, Roger's mother, she was a Dutch girl. She was from Holland, but I didn't meet her overseas. I met her here. Her, her brother-in-law worked with me at the uh, Naval Research Lab. His name was Woolsack. And uh, uh, and then uh, later on, I got married again. And uh, then that's when I had the two girls. And their mother was from uh, Alabama, but uh, then she le she left too. So. You said earlier that when you'd done some work for the Navy, and you'd done some work for, I guess, some equipment that went on to the moon. Yeah. What, what was that? Uh, the lunar camera. We have. I made some of the parts that went on the lunar camera that went on the moon. Okay. And one person didn't make the whole thing. Right. And uh, uh, and then the rocket that went up and took pictures of Comic Hotek. I don't know if you remember that or not. I do not. You don't remember it? How old are you? What, what, what was it again? It took pictures of Comic Hotek. It was a comet. It okay. came close to the Earth. Okay. And we made a rocket. They knew it was coming. And they made this rocket, and they went up and took pictures of it, uh, of what it was doing, you know. Okay, I got you. You got a couple patents from the Postal Service too, right? Huh? The patents that you developed with the post office, right? Patents? Patents. Oh, yeah. Post. Yeah, well, that, that was, uh, uh, no, we made one for the Navy. Uh, they was having problems with these rockets coming apart out in space. Well, me and a guy by the name of Walter Groot, 
uh, we come up with the design, we call them stab screws. They went in on the angle. They had the ones all the way around it. And then we put these others in between them. We call them stab screws. And it would hold this ring to this part. And then we went the other way and put them in that way so to hold the head to that part. And uh, so they couldn't come apart. So it, was, it was actually locked in there. And they put uh, a, a sort of type of lock of Loctite on them. And uh, so that, that was the pattern that the, uh, the Navy took. And uh, I didn't work on it very much, but that same guy, Walt de Groot, they were designing a, uh, a saw to saw your skull. It didn't put out no sawdust. And uh, I used to take cow heads to him. I had a butcher shop. And I used to take cow heads to work with me. And uh, they, uh, he practiced on making that saw to cut that skull without any sawdust being from it. And he, he designed that, and, but I helped him on it, you know. How do you think you have, you have a lot of time to look back on it and reflect? How do you think your wartime experience has affected your life? Nothing but good. Nothing but good. Yeah. I tell you, I, I've always said this. Every kid, when he gets out of high school, should have had to serve three years in the Army. I think it makes them a better person. And uh, at least they'll get the, 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 the knowledge of being courteous and, and uh, uh, respect for other people. So you volunteered to go, you have no regrets? No, sir. No. Like I said, I wouldn't have this if I hadn't went. I don't know where I would be today. Might not even be alive. And when I come back, uh, it's a guy, uh, can't think of his name right now, but he worked for the government. And I was trying to find out how I could get in, to, in the French Foreign Legion. And uh, he told me, he said, don't do it. Because a lot of times, back those days, if you left the country, then you couldn't get your citizenship back. That was years ago. I think now you can do anything and get back. <laughs> but uh, that's the reason I didn't get to go into that. And of course, I had a good job, too, working for the Navy and the post office. I, I, I was still working for the Navy when I was trying to do that. Because you, you couldn't get no words there if you wasn't a Catholic or a Mason. I mean, nothing wrong with them, don't get me wrong, but. They had a click. That's like the damn politicians today. They got a click, and and uh, part of it. it is. And you know they they don't have, they don't even respect that the people that voted some boogers in there. You know, and uh, like this guy Biden. I tell you what. Like I say, I'm a dumb old country boy, but I ain't stupid. But that some booger is stupid. He is. Why do you want to give away everything? I'm a firm, I believe in helping people, don't get me wrong. 
But I always said charity begins at home. You know, look, we got people at home that needs help. And half the time they give money to those people over there and uh, they buy weapons with it to fight us with. And they give it to them all the time. I mean, and I don't think it takes a genius to figure that out, you know. I can't figure out how they can come up with that many damn stupid people. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want that you want to talk about, or anything you remember you didn't mention earlier? I can't remember nothing really. It was a long but, time ago, I know. Yeah. In the winter time over there, you used to tell you told guys a story about what you would do to help your men keep their feet warm and stay warm in the winter. Do you remember talking about that? No. No. Yeah, you used to tell me, Big Al, that uh, you used to always keep a pair of socks inside your clothing to keep. Oh yeah, yeah, we did that. Yeah. And then you keep yeah. plastic keep underneath. Pair of socks, underneath. extra socks in your jacket, and then your feet got wet, you change your socks and. But, was that uh, a big challenge while you were there, staying warm? Sir. Was that one of the big challenges you had while you were there? Part of it, yeah. Shot was staying warm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hey, but uh, it wasn't too bad. You you get wrapped up in them sleeping bags and they had them uh, down sleeping bags and uh, the, uh, they had the summer sleeping bags they had a uh, uh, wool liner inside of it with like a light canvas uh, seal over the outside of it then they give you a couple of uh, uh, army wool blankets to cover up with that and it wasn't too bad I mean it wasn't like getting in that uh, down blanket sleeping bag. You got in that and you had to put about as many underneath of you as you did on top because the ground was frozen and the cold would come right up through it, you know. And you had to put something over top so any heat you did have you couldn't get out like a, uh, a poncho or something if the heat couldn't go through. And uh, that to help keep it to your body. And it wasn't too bad. So you were sleeping directly on the ground? In some places, yeah. In some places we had bunkers and they had them uh, air mattresses. Well, the best time I've seen the air mattress was used for was in the springtime when it filled up with water, you could use it to float back inside with. Did you have all the all the equipment, all the gear that you needed? We always had pretty much stuff. I don't ever remember needing something that we didn't have. Like uh, uh, other than sea rations, I didn't care much. I didn't care much for them. Like uh, the best ones we had was the beans and franks and and. Uh, ham and lima beans, and, but uh, I think every sea ration had a can of corned beef hash in it, and I didn't like that shit with a shit. Was all that World War II surplus? Yeah, it's all of it was World War II stuff. And uh, uh, we sorting out the rations for everybody, and uh, I would uh, put the corned beef hash in the Koreans' soldiers box and of course they would like me they couldn't read it they opened it up you know and they look at it and see 
Son of a bitch, he's starting to spit his slicky slicky. <laughs> they knew what I did. <laughs> but, uh, like I said, I, I, I had a lot of fun there, too. I mean, I, I, I don't ever remember having a time where distress was so bad that, that I couldn't handle it. And I think that was mainly from being a country boy. Because there was a guy from uh, uh, Kentucky, uh, the county out in Kentucky, it's a real bad county. Some tough-ass people come out of there. Anyhow, uh, his, the sergeant there, they, when we go down to get replacements, we'd say, all you country boys over here and all you uh, city people over here, and we'd take our uh, soldiers out of that as a country bunch, because uh, you know they they were they had common sense, and where the city boys, every time you tell him something, he said, "But why, Sarge?" I said, "Why? Because I told you to," you know. But uh, I mean, we made it through with them. Sometimes you had to get a little shitty with them, but most of the time they they would listen to you. But uh, I know some of them had to come home. Is better people too, and old Garrett, he he wasn't no easy guy on him either, and he wasn't very big, but he was a tough son of a bitch. <laughs> His name was Arthur W. Garrett. See, I can remember that. Yeah, right. there's a lot of things. If it's something like that, you kind of class <laughs> class yourself with it, you'll remember it right. better. I mean, I, I try to figure out sometimes how I could remember things more, you know. And some of the things I think I helped myself on it, but then there's other times I don't know if I, I helped myself or not. But the main thing with me, but not being able, I wouldn't have had all that shit probably if I could have read it right. Because probably half of it or more of it threw it away. But, uh, Knowing that I couldn't read and write, everything they give me, I kept it. And uh, there's a few pieces of stuff that it's gone. It, uh, it's it's somewhere, but uh, I can't put my fingers on it. But the, the kids, they got all that stuff out this morning and, and went through it. And I had a couple of pictures of them pinning that. I don't know if it was a brown star or a silver star. It might have been uh, one or the other. But uh, I, I think we can't find that. And that's the only thing that I have of, of the war pictures that I, I have, because there wasn't no pictures. We didn't have no cameras over there. There was a couple of guys that had cameras, but I didn't have one. And, uh, one of the reasons we do this is so we can capture stories like yours and huh? preserve them. Yeah, so that's that when what, you're gone, other people will be able to know what you did. Yeah, that's what Roger said. What, what is something you want to tell somebody who might watch this video in 50 years? In 50 years? What message do you want to send them? The message to me is keep your head on straight and be kind and courteous to everybody and, uh, and be helpful. And another thing, it's three things I can't stand. That's a liar a coward, and a thief. 
can't stand either one of the three. And uh, well, actually, I put one more to it too: it's laziness. These people, you know, what? If you're gonna have anything, how in the hell are you gonna get so much to work if you pay him not to? You know, you know what? Pay, pay, pay me not to work. If it did, I probably wouldn't be where I am today either. But everything I got, I worked for it. I didn't steal none of it, and I didn't lie to get none of it. Uh, I told some girls a few stories, but <laughs> but I did that to make the truth sound good. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, the kids nowadays, I, I, I don't think they want to learn. They All they want to do is uh, I call it shucking and jiving. <laughs> well, on behalf of the Americans in Wartime Experience, I want to thank you for sitting down and talking to us. It was well, a pleasure I, to hear your story. I appreciate talking to you, sir. And I, uh, I want to thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you'd like to find out more about the Voices of Freedom Project and the Americans in Wartime Experience, or if you'd like to donate, please visit our website at www americansinwartime.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast.